I remember when I was a small child that my friends and I would set up a store as a part of playing with each other and we'd set it up in the large pine tree in uh, the side yard of my house and somebody had one of those Fisher Price cash registers with a little bell that went ding and I would take all the Monopoly money and my dad didn't like that because it was his favorite game and I would take all the Monopoly money and put it in that cash register and we would set up our store with whatever we had, popsicle sticks or number two pencils, oatmeal cream pies, zingers, whatever we had available. Some of us would, one of us would bring something, the other one would bring another thing and that would be our store. And the first thing we did in that game was assign the value. We would count the cost, even in our imaginary world, what things should cost in our imaginary store. It's just part of what we do as people. I remember when I first began driving when I was 16, my parents would remind me to count the cost of the responsibility of driving. And also then shortly after when I had my first car and it was a hand-me-down from my grandfather. It was a, a beige Chevrolet Cavalier and I was very thankful to have it. My parents and my grandfather had provided that for me and I wanted to be really good at counting the cost. And I remember thinking about that as a 16 year old and I said, well, I've saved all my money to pay for my car insurance and to pay for the maintenance and my gas. And my parents would say, well, no, that's, that's great. But this is about more than just what it costs to run the car. This is about responsibility. This is about seeing that you've been entrusted with something. You have to be a, a good driver, a safe driver, be responsible, take care of yourself and how you drive and take care of the car, of course, as well. And I wanted to do all that. I treated that car like gold. I would clean it and wash it and wax it. And I remember uh, putting a tape deck in it and some speakers because it only had one little speaker and an AM radio. And I tried to be very careful with it. But sure enough, as often happens when you're 16, I, I was in an accident and I felt so horrible about not taking care of what had been entrusted to me that I actually cried. I felt like I had done such a poor job of counting the cost of being responsible. Now we all probably have a story in our lives where we wanted to be thankful, we wanted to appreciate the value of something, a generous gift or maybe an opportunity and I'm guessing we all want to value things and be thankful people. That's part of what we seek to do in our lives and not just with material things but with those deeper things, with the uh, emotional and relational and even with the spiritual things that God gives us in our lives. We want to be seen as appreciating all that God provides for us. And if you're like me, when you read these parables in God's word, when you learn about the Pharisees in scripture, it can be hard to imagine, hard to comprehend how badly they would miss the point of what Jesus had come to do, of who Jesus is. They struggled with it. And towards that latter part of his ministry, Jesus shifted almost entirely to preaching from these parables. He wanted to make sure the people all around him had something they could relate to to understand these spiritual truths about God's kingdom of redemption. There's something in there for us as Christians to learn when we are presenting God's word. Sure, doctrine and theology has depth and detail and we don't want to minimize those things. But the essential foundational things from God's word, they're not hidden from us intellectually. But they are spiritual truths that can be readily understood when hearts are opened by God's spirit. And that's 
the dynamic we see at play with these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they didn't have that spiritual understanding. And the more we learn from these parables, we see that they didn't understand what I like to call the heart triangle of our lives. And our faith is at the center of this heart triangle. Who I am, who others are, and who God is. That's what I call the heart triangle. Who I am, who others are, who God is. And then the relationship between those three aspects shapes that triangle in our lives. It really is the way we perceive everything about ourselves and about the world around us. And we talked last week in the parable of the two sons. We learned how both sons were running from God. And yet the way they had shaped those triangles, they were both running from God in different ways. The prodigal son, the one we think of, he ran from the father who exemplifies God, just as the landowner in today's story we'll see does the same thing. He he ran from God and he ran from his father and said, just give me everything. I don't want you. I want your stuff. And I'm just going to run away and have it my way. That grid, that triangle, the way he understood things. And yet the, the other, the older brother, the older son in this story, he was running too. Yo, though on the outside, he looked like he was being responsible. He was really being the hard worker, the good one. And yet we see that both of them were sinning. That's what running from God is. It's sinning and saying, God, I don't need you to tell me. I know better. I actually know how it's supposed to be. And you should listen to me a little bit. So the spiritual truths that are revealed here in God's word, this idea of running from God, the spiritual dimension of life, that's what those Pharisees, those teachers of the law, failed to factor in. The spiritual truths, that's what Jesus was teaching in these parables. And as we will see today, our self-assessment from this triangle, the spiritual understanding, it has a deep effect on our lives. Not just our lives, though, but the lives of others around us. It affects how we understand concepts like justice and fairness, equity, value, goodness, righteousness, all those things. They're hotly contested in our world all the time. Perhaps no more than they are right now during this COVID-19 crisis. But in our lives, now is no different than any other time, nor when Jesus was walking the earth and teaching. There was stress and there was difficulty then, just as there is now. So let's dig into God's word today, and we're going to go into this parable, and we're going to consider it. And we're going to shift from looking at Luke as we've been into Matthew's gospel, these everyday accounts with these deeper spiritual truths. Now, Jesus is moving forward. We're going to look today. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 20. He's moving forward towards the cross, towards the story of redemption, towards Calvary. So the tension with those Pharisees, it is increasing. It's thick around him. Everyone sees it. Just before this account, Jesus has that exchange with the rich young ruler. We might remember that exchange well in God's word. And while Jesus loves him, that rich young ruler, he rejects this because in his heart, he's holding back from God. And Jesus gives him this verse just before the beginning of our account of our story today in Matthew 20. Matthew 19.30, there's this this statement Jesus makes that should stick out to all of us, that sets the stage 
for this parable today. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And all of these encounters with, the, encounters with the rich young ruler, with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, with the common folks, with the marginalized and the rejected, with the, the sinners and those the Pharisees didn't like him talking to. We find this reality that God's economy, God's success ladder, the way he judges what's good and what's moving us the right direction in life. What Jesus says is important and what matters it's so different from ours. It actually flies in the face. It's opposed at times to the things that we think are the most important. It would even fly in the face of what we would say is conventional wisdom in our world today. Think about the, the heroes in these parables we've already studied. The shepherd who couldn't even go into the temple, who wouldn't be allowed in church in our world today. The woman who searches and diligently for that lost coin. But then again, she was the one that lost it in the first place. And those are the, the parables. Uh, these parables have these heroes in them who are really in some ways kind of anti-heroes. And yet there's a shift in last week's story. The hero isn't either son, not the younger son, not the older son, not the one who lives wildly and not the one who tried to follow every rule and felt like it put him ahead with the father. In fact, the hero in the story is the father. And the father, of course, exemplifies God. And we have to remember, as we go into God's word today, as we step into Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, God is the hero of the story of redemption we find in the 66 books of Scripture. He defines what's good and what's right and what's loving. He's the one that redeems the whole universe. So his definition, as we're going to see, for goodness and success and being right, it's not like ours. It's not like ours at all. And knowing that going in as we learn from this story today should have far-reaching effects for us in how we see ourselves, how we see others, and how we see God. So let's open up this story from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and let's learn a little bit about who God says we are, who God says others are, and who God tells us he is. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, You also go to my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more. But they also received a denarius each. When they received it, 
They began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work in the burning heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is God's holy word. So Jesus tells us plainly here what this kingdom is like. And of course, this story made great sense to the people that were sitting listening as he taught. It makes good sense to us as well in our lives today. Because as we're seeing this COVID-19 crisis, people are worried. And many people in America today, just as then, lived in what we would call a sustenance existence. They worked every day to make sure they had enough to survive, to make ends meet, and sometimes not even to be able to do that. They would work hard and every day's labor would keep a family afloat. And so a wealthy landowner, a rancher, a vineyard owner in this case, you know, he would go to the marketplace or the city gates, depending on where he was, to hire hands to work in the fields. He would hire on extra people when the harvest came. Now, I remembered one church where I worked as a youth and family pastor. There's an apple orchard next door, and a friends, a family owned that, great people, and they worked so hard themselves to keep that orchard going, and they had a, a small group of people to work there with them. Maybe there's five or ten people working, and when the harvest would come in the spring, all of a sudden, I remember I'd look up the hill as I would drive past there or walk past there on my way home through the countryside to our house, I would see suddenly instead of five or ten people out, there were 30 or 40 because the workers had been hired for the season to bring in the harvest. And then when the season ended, they would go down south where the weather was nicer and wait for more work. And then next spring, they'd come back again. And they were, it was really interesting. They were great people. They were from different places around the country and around the world. And I just remember understanding, wow, this is what it means when workers are hired for the harvest. But yet it's a day-to-day existence. You have to work hard to make ends meet. And if you got hired early in the morning in that sustenance culture, that sustenance existence, that meant you were the one who was thought of as being able-bodied. You came, you were dressed, you were ready, you had your work boots on or work sandals, I guess, in that world, and you were ready. 6 a.m. they would be out there. You wanted to get out there early. You wanted to be out there before 6 a.m. so that you would get hired for that day's wages. And you wanted to have that that day's wages, you want to be hired for that. Now, if you weren't hired at 6 a.m., that meant that probably either you weren't on time or you had a reputation of not being reliable. And the later in the day you went, people would take whoever was available. And late in the day, the people that were there were those who couldn't work. Maybe they had a moral issue or a physical handicap or something else going on. They weren't going to be hired because they were either not reliable or they simply couldn't get enough done for the money. There was not a good return on investment for a landowner or a vineyard owner to hire them. So that's what we see described here. And this would make sense to Jesus' audience just as it makes sense to us this day. 
We see this paradigm described in verses 1 through 8. The workers came early in the morning, 6 a.m. They worked till about 6 p.m., and that was common in the culture. In exchange, they would receive one day's wages, one denarius. And if you remember the parable of the lost coin, you would remember that's just under four and a half ounces of silver, generally, and that was thought of as a day's wages. And so those who came at 6 a.m., if you want to think about it this way, they would earn an honest day's work. It was fair. The work wasn't easy. It was hard. It was dirty. It was dusty. But that was what was common. That's what the market provided for. And so their deal was done. Look here in verse 2. For these fair, hard-working people, after agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. So there's no issue. They go out, they go to work, and they work hard, and they're going to get paid equitably. But if you look in verses 3, 5, and 6, we see the landowner, who just as the father last week is one who exemplifies God, exemplifies the Lord. The landowner, landowner he goes back to the marketplace, the city square, and he recruits even more help. Notice each group is told the same thing. Look here in verse 4. You also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. Now notice, not a set rate is set, but you know, is, is agreed upon as it was with the first group. But he tells each group as they come in, go to work in the vineyard. I'm going to pay you what's right. And they all go. They, they're just happy to have some work. They, they need to make something. So they go out into the fields. The only other extended exchange we see is with the final group. And shockingly, they are hired at 5 p.m., even though the workday is over at 6 p.m. One hour before the end of the day, the landowner asks them in verses 6 and 7, look here at verses 6 and 7, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And they answer, because no one hired us. So he hires them, and he gives them the same command, the same instructions. You go work in my vineyard. And this command is important because it means two things. First, it means that everyone who's hired has a purpose, and they all have the same purpose, to be laborers in the vineyard. And if you're a Christian, there's all kinds of spiritual analogies that come into this. Go work in the vineyard. This week, if you want to read in the Bible, John 15, you know, Jesus there's spiritual dimensions to him saying, you know, I'm the vine and you are the branches. This idea of a vineyard has a lot of spiritual dynamics. And that's not lost on those who know Jesus' ministry. So first of all, they all have the same purpose and the same instruction. And second of all, secondly, they have a wage and they needed that wage. And that's what everyone would expect. Listen to the words here from Deuteronomy 24, 15. You are to pay him his wages each day before the sun sets because he is poor and depends on them. Otherwise, he will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be held guilty. There is a spiritual understanding that if you are part of God's covenant people, you would pay an honest day's wages. So when the landowner says to everybody, hey, go into the field and I'm going to pay you what's fair, there's a spiritual and cultural understanding that will take place. With that day-to-day -day existence, they need the money, they understand what the expectations are and how that works, so they go into the field and they get to work. Maybe in our world today, this makes more sense to us than ever because 
we're living for that pay at the end of the day. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you or someone you love has lost their job. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you've lost part of your work or you were furloughed for a while and you're really tight or you didn't have enough money because it just wasn't enough. And so this parable may make sense to you now in a way it perhaps never has before. But consider here, in light of that, the growing generosity of the landowner, the one who represents God. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., honest day's work. 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., well, maybe they just found they had more work than they thought, a bigger harvest. Noon till 6, I, you know, maybe you really need to get ahead. That's hard to understand. 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., that's not a whole lot of work. But the last group, the group the story lingers on the longest, where we are made aware of their exchange with the landowner. He says, why aren't you working? And they said, no one would hire us. We understand more about them. A full day's wages, though. Think about that. A full day's wages for working one hour, only one hour. Look at verse 9. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. Verses 9 and 10 there. Think about that. The ones who worked an hour get a full day's wages. And so naturally, the ones who began at 6 a.m. figured, man, if they got a, a whole day's wages for one hour, what are we going to get? We worked so much harder. And let's be honest, a full day's wages for one hour, that's incredible and generous. Imagine if you worked on an assembly line. Maybe you worked, I don't know, 8 till 8. You worked a huge shift. It was you're working you know, a double or an extra shift and you're on an assembly line somewhere, it's dirty, it's hot out, you're working hard and you work all day. You work full, full shifts and beyond all week. You work so hard and yet someone else comes in and works just a couple hours on Friday and it's payday and the foreman calls everybody up, the whistle blows at the end of the day and he calls those who came in just on Friday first and he's handing out the paychecks and in big writing you can see on the checks, they received what you know you should receive for the whole week. And yet when you get up at the end of the line, you've been there the longest you get at the end of the line. The first or last, the last or first. And you get that check. You get it. And those who only worked that one day got 12 times what you got. Come on. Wouldn't you be upset? Wouldn't you feel slighted? Wouldn't you feel cheated? Wouldn't you turn to a friend and say, this is just so unfair. You call someone on the way home, you'd be texting somebody in all caps, this is horrible. If we're honest, I think we'd all, in our own hearts, in our own minds, feel cheated, feel like we were slighted. How could this be fair or good or right? What does this tell us about God and how he views things? We have to remember, Jesus tells these parables to acclimate us to God's kingdom. What God says is fair. And in no way is God telling us not to work hard, not to work for an honest day's wages. Time and time again, scripture reminds us that our studies, our hard work, all of those things we do are part of our worship, our adoration for God. 
That's a big part of our Reformed worldview that we have worshipful work and we study to show ourselves approved to God. And all these things, we are giving glory to God and worshiping Him. And yet God is telling us here in this passage, He's giving us a glimpse in His heart. God as a landowner is telling us that He is a God of abundance and mercy. He's a God who generously loves and gives Look at Philippians 4.19. Paul reminds the church, whether it's a good time or whether even as it may be for you now, a time of difficulty. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Think about that. God will supply according to whose riches? His riches. Look at what the landowner says in Matthew 20, 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Can you imagine Jesus saying that and looking right at those religious leaders, kind of giving them that sideways glance as he says this? But think about that. Those who are hurting and marginalized, they're sitting there hearing the same message and they're wondering what this means about God that he loves and cares for them even when they feel like they don't measure up. Think about what we learned last week about the father in the parable of the two sons. He gave generously to both sons. It was all his and yet when they asked he gave to both of them. They didn't come to him either. Remember the father went out to them and in this story today remember the landowner he's the one that goes out to every group in the market. He sought them out. He hired them and promised that he would pay the price that was right and fair to each of them. What does this tell us about God's heart, about his generosity, his grace to provide for all of our needs, physically, emotionally, relationally, and yes, spiritually, and to us, that can seem in our sinful selves so utterly unfair. That's what's wrong with our world today, you might say. People don't work hard for what they get. Remember what we said at the beginning of today's message. We see the kingdom of God just as those in Jesus' days saw it through a triangular set of lenses, almost a prism, you might say. And prisms can reflect light, but they can also kind of cast and distort shadows. And our human sinful hearts are much the same way. And that's what I call that heart triangle, how we see ourselves, how we see others, and how we see God. The connection between those factors shapes that heart triangle, and it can get distorted. It's not always a perfect triangle. And that's the problem for us. For those of us in the church today as a Christian, it's an active challenge. It's a problem for us, just as it was for those religious leaders in Jesus's audience that day. We always see ourselves, we do, as those 12-hour laborers who are out with their boots laced up, ready to go at 6 a.m. In the spiritual dynamic of our world, in the relational, in the emotional, in the practical, we often see ourselves as the responsible ones. Now, you may think today, well, I don't see myself as that. I see myself as a horrible person. Yeah, well, that, that's a different problem, and one of our other parables will talk about that. But often, I think many of us, particularly in the church, 
see ourselves as those 12-hour laborers, those who have gone the extra mile. Yeah, we're lucky to get hired, but we've proven ourselves to the landowner, to the boss, time and time again. And yet we forget that the landowner is the one who sought us out, brought us in, and gave us the opportunity, just as the father sought out the two sons in last week's parable. We miss this idea. And like the older brother, the older son, we think, well, we've worked pretty hard, and you know what? We've kind of got a good relationship, and the father, he appreciates us a little more. The landowner, he appreciates us just a little bit more. And if we work hard enough, we shouldn't have to wait till the end of the line to get our paycheck. Why does Jesus keep bringing this same heart issue up for us time and time again, just as he did for those religious leaders, those religious people in his day? The problem is that's how we see ourselves in relationship with God. And it distorts God to us, but it distorts our own relationship with others, and our own self-perception is distorted as well. We need a reality check. This parable is Jesus's reality check to those religious leaders and to all of us who are in the church, that we would understand that we are all products of God's grace. We're not those 12 hours workers who started at 6 a.m. In reality, if we understand God's grace and the mercy of the cross, that none of us are righteous, not even one of us, that none of us have it together, you and I should see that we are all 11th hour workers. Each one of us in that kingdom of redemption, we are all those 11th hour workers hired at 5 p.m., saved by grace, by the massive love of God that we can never earn. And we don't naturally understand it. It's only when God's grace breaks through, when God's spirit gets a hold of our hearts that we understand how we have been given so much mercy that we can give mercy, that we have been provided abundantly, that every day God supplies our needs. So we should give generously and abundantly and care for others beyond what seems equitable to us. God is asking us to love, to give, and to trust in him, even when it doesn't seem fair to our natural selves. This is God's world. This is God's kingdom. It's unlike anything that we would naturally understand ourselves. So it's time for us to reimagine our identity in Christ from those who are the good people like the Pharisees and to see ourselves and to see everybody around us. We're all in that same boat spiritually. If God grabs onto our hearts, we need to understand that we are 11th hour workers. We are those people that are products completely of God's grace. We are all blessed beyond anything we could ever deserve by the marvelous grace of God. In closing, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we, how do we respond as Jesus would expect us to respond? The key to that is expressed in the final verse of the parable, Matthew 20, 16. So the last will be first, and the first last. Am I last? That's the question I want you to ask yourself this week. I want us to consider this, to pray about it, how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see 
others. Soon after this parable, Jesus reminds everyone of this heart reorientation that must take place. In Matthew 22, 37 through 39, he gives us our first two daily marching orders. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, friends, I think God is removing all these barriers in our world and our lives right now. He's stripping all these things away to get the church back on track with what matters to him. We've worried so much about all these things that I don't think matter to the heart of God. They matter to us. We think they're important. In fact, we think we've worked hard and we should get a little bit out of us, out of this for us. Sure, we do it different ways, just like the two different sons have done it. We, some of us like pipe organs, some of us like electric guitars or whatever. We want this big program, this big project, and God's saying, no, I don't want you to have a heart for all these things. I want you to understand that I've picked you up by my grace. I want you to love other people. I want you to see them the way that I see you. I've hired all of you. I've given all of you my grace abundantly. You are all 11th hour workers. How we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see God. I think he is trying to forge that back into what he desires in his church right now. And even in these difficult days, he's using them to remind us that every good and generous gift we have comes from him, especially the beautiful gift of the cross. This week, I want to invite you to ask God to reveal to you how you need to change in your life to find out, am I last? Have I put others ahead of me? Have I put God ahead of everything, of all my relationships, of all my wants, of all my worries? Is God in that first place, in front of my marriage, in front of my kids or my grandkids, my job, my fears, my worries, all those things? Am I placing God first saying, God, I want you. I don't even want anything you're giving me. I don't deserve anything from you. This week, let's pray together and ask God to help us live thankful, generous, and compassionate lives for him. Let's pray. Father, that we would just belong to you, that we would, in everything, put you first. That we would ask that question, God, am I last? So, Father, take all of us. Use us this day. Draw us in. Change us that we would belong more completely to you, that we would understand what it means for us to see ourselves as those 11th hour workers, that we would understand that we are all products of your grace, of your mercy and your compassion, that you came, you sought us, you you drew us in, you transformed us to be your people so that we would love, care, and minister to others, that we would want you, God, above all other things, that we would place you first. We pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen.